Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, October 22nd. It's episode 46. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're going to be talking to you about some pinball, from which there was some pretty good-sized news this week, or two weeks, really. And, and video games. Surprise- yeah, a lot of video games. We've been playing actually. a lot of games, I think. So, yay us. I, I've been playing a video game that I haven't even put, I didn't even put on the list <gasps> it's, because it's, it it's goes not, on the list. Ah. It maybe goes on the it, list. We'll, uh, we'll talk more about it when we get to the video game segment. It is kind of messed up. All right. Well, we'll open that segment with it and then we can decide, you can decide how much is worthy of being said. Yeah. But until then, What's been going on? I know you've been playing video games. I've been playing video games. Um, not a whole lot going on. I have managed to, other than the one day where I went over to your place to try out your new silver slugger and play pinball for an hour or two, I've played no pinball this month. Mm. I missed all the tournaments this month. Uh, Isn't it just, liberating? Yeah, it's something, all right. I mean... <laughs> It's not that I haven't wanted to go. There's just always been something going on. Uh, the 403 tournament, I had the on-call phone and this and that, and I couldn't make it. And then I was at my grandmother's birthday party. So, I mean, there's stuff that you just can't. That's right. It's more important it, than the pinballs. And here well, we are I, I have recording, little pinballs. recording during the Attack from Mars remake launch party. So I ruined yeah, that one. Yeah, I know. Oh, well. I know. Yeah, I was at the Pizza West one yesterday, and I, I got asked, are you going to the Attack for Mars? And no. Right. No, why not? It's like, because it's time to record. <laughs> when else am I going to get it done? Uh, I mean, we could we we could have gone. No, we no. just would have had to record last night. No. Oh, well, they, yeah, that they're making either. enough off of my money as it is, you know. And next weekend, we've got a, a game night, and that's when the shawnee open is which is the pump and dump where well yeah but i mean that's easy because if it's like normal they'll open it up on like before a game night so you can go in and do your qualifier and fail to qualify and still make it a game night i might you know i haven't i didn't do it last year i did it in 2015 i might be good enough though that if i did that i might still get in the bottom of b division Oh, and then I'd feel like I'd need to drive back out there. Yeah, seeing as I'm hosting game night, I'm not even going to take the chance yes, to be one of those magical dites where suddenly I'm just amazing at pinball for like 15 minutes. Well, and I'm still sort of standing on principle that other than charity events, I don't do pump and dump because it. Well, just, you don't have to pump and dump. You could just. I don't, I don't care. Go in and just uh, do a single playthrough and just just believe in yourself. It encourages bad behavior. Poor protocol. It's just me financing the the skilled people screw their skills i don't care about them enough so yeah um okay so you didn't make any pinball other than uh when you yeah you came over last weekend for a few hours and we did that and i've seen you playing forts which i know you're going to talk about in the video game segment yeah i've been playing forts and dungeons three and cold waters Mm, oh yes the waters are cold they are very cold. It's getting to be that time of year. Any Overwatch? It's the Halloween event. I did, and I managed to, much to my daughter's happiness, uh, I managed to snag the Mercy Witch skin mm. uh, without having to buy it. That's good. And the other day, my daughter was sick, so I had to stay home from work uh, with her the other day. And she passed out at like... 
11 in the morning and slept for like five hours. So while she was asleep, I was like, I'm going to play some Overwatch. So I fired up Overwatch. I'm like, it's the middle of the day. I'm not too worried. I'll get some fun games in. Fired up a match, started playing, and in like less than five minutes, I'm like, I've never played this bad. I don't know what's wrong. This is the absolute worst game I've ever played. And I just quit straight to desktop. It was so bad. I was playing uh, random. <laughs> oh, oh. I was playing random hero, so I wasn't like it wasn't like it was a uh, uh, a ranked match, right? But I was playing random hero, and in five minutes of play, I had nine deaths and zero kills. Well, random can be can be brutal sometimes. So. It was really, really, really brutal, and it doesn't help that. The everyone I ended up with was either terrible or I didn't know how to play. Like I'm still not great at Doomfist, and I got Doomfist three times. Mm, yeah, and every time I went into the fight, I just got picked off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still can't play him. I I've done some. We actually did some competitive this week. Uh, Mike, who's been on this podcast a few times, and myself, uh, and we. We're trying to earn loot crates through the Halloween event. So, but once we get done with the arcade mode, which I normally do mystery hero there, we tend to do competitive matches. Oh gosh, it looked like we had forgotten how to play Overwatch. It was so, so bad. Uh, it's just like my rank was fallen. I fell out of gold into silver. Uh, I pulled it back up. We had two really good games yesterday that I did after pinball. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe it's not us. Maybe we just had really bad teams because. You know, instinctively, I want to blame the team for everything, but you know, sometimes the problem might be oneself. So I try, yeah. I try and keep that perspective in in place. But uh. normally, you can tell when it's you or when it's the team. I mean, when you're doing good and you're keep keeping everyone up and everything seems to be going okay, and something away from you collapses, that's not your fault. When you've got one of your guys who, when you've got a Reinhardt who just does the old uh, uh, um, charge straight into the middle of the enemy with no support every time he gets to the front. That's not necessarily your fault. Yeah, we, we had a little bit of that. See, the, the, the thing was, normally, it'll be a bad comp. Someone will, will think it's quick play, and they'll make a mistake, like offensive Torbjorns and things like that. And uh, we, Hanzo. we had, oh, yeah, there was a lot of that. But we did have two games where the team comp I thought was good. We were just outplayed. Just outplayed. That's how it was. So can't always win. Um, let's see. Okay, well, besides that, uh, I had a birthday since the last podcast, so I did get a few video games, which is part of the reason why Happy I've Happy birthday! Playing. Thank you. Woo. I'm getting very old. But that You're 105. Means, oh, gosh, if only. Then, I, <laughs> then I'd be, that would be coming around to be cool because it'd be like, you're 105 and you're playing Titanfall 2? You must suck at it. Yeah, right in. It's like, no, I don't need that many years to be bad at it. Uh, but uh, I have four new games because of that. So I got Resident Evil 7 Biohazard and Halo Wars 2. I haven't started those yet. And then Titanfall 2 and Wardor, Middle Earth Shadow of War. So I'm going to talk about those in the video game segment because I've actually put in some time on those. Uh, let's see. A couple other things more on the pinball front. Uh, as I noted last time, 
that I thought Skylab would be for sale. Skylab is now for sale. I do have someone who's already expressed interest in it. We're trying to hammer out a time he can come and see it. I'm not in a particular rush, so I offered it up to the local community first to see if anyone wanted it. I wanted to fix a reset issue it was having, and I did. It was a wired come disconnected. So I started that on, and then I noticed that it was doing a weird bonus score situation. Whenever you earned an odd value, all the bonuses in thousands. But if it was yeah. an odd number, it would give you an extra thousand points. So if it was for supposed to be 3,000, which is the smallest bonus you'd ever have, it'd give you 4,000. But if it's supposed to give you 6,000, it would give you 6,000. I could not figure this out. I put I posted on Pinside asking for help. The people were suggesting either the score mortar or the advance unit, which makes sense because those are the two units that are associated with scoring and advancing the bonus, but couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. My dad came over. We're going through the schematic. It took us two hours to figure out that it was one switch that needed to be gapped just a little bit more, but we didn't suspect that initially because why was it only doing it in the odd situations? That switch is involved in every situation. So I don't know why. We never really figured that out. Our guess is the the way the score motor works, it's like a cam. And well, it is a cam. And there are these notches. One notch might have been a little bit deeper than the other. So that was the even notch. So it gapped properly, but the odd revolution would not. I don't know. But anyway, it fixed it. So it's fully working now. Uh, so that was fun. And then uh, Silver Slugger. Uh, I've got it fully functional now. When you came over, there was a problem with the the left flipper sticking. Yeah. And I finally, uh, it wasn't when I got the game. So I knew it was after I disassembled and cleaned those all up. And I was thinking, well, do I need a rebuild kit? But everything, I mean, the sleeves and all that on the quail it looked good. So it was uh, substitute screws. They'd mounted it with substitute screws and they were coming loose because they didn't have lock washers. So I found my lock washers and that fixed it. So that was the result. And then there was the right pop bumper, which I think I'd mentioned in the past had melted coil plastic in it, which meant it overheated at some stage. So I had ordered a new coil that finally came. I, uh, I installed it. I, you know, followed the schematic. I made sure I put it in correctly and put in a new fuse because the old fuse was blown. And it didn't work. But in under 30 seconds, that coil was overheating. I, I burned my hand touching it. And the fuse did not blow, but the whole glass inside of it had turned yellow from the heat. So this was another one I did with my dad, who, as I, I think I've noted, he's an electrical engineer. So he's much stronger on these schematics than I am. And so, of course, the thought is it's probably something upstream at this stage. So it looked like it was going to be what's called a MOSFET. It's a type of transistor. And I'd read that on some other games, these MOSFETs can leak. They can leak current that won't engage the coil, like it wouldn't pull a pop bumper, but it would still be enough to heat it up too much, but maybe not blow the fuse. Uh, we put a jumper on the, the fuse block and the pop bumper fired. So it may have fired on me and it just stayed pulled down the entire time. So I wouldn't keep hearing it and I wouldn't have heard it over the ball launch, but the I don't know why the fuse didn't blow. So anyway, we had a whole bag of MOSFETs from uh, Sharkies because Sharkies, I think uh, three needed to be replaced and they, they were compatible with this. How convenient. So got that soldered in, put back in the old yellowed fuse, um, which, you know, it might fail at some point because I doubt it can handle a full 1.5 amps anymore, but uh, it, it's working. So that's fixed. So 
Anyway, uh, so the game's fully functional. I got some decals for the drop targets, put those on. So I'm done with it uh, unless I want to put in some more LEDs. This one's got some ghosting issues with certain LED positioning. So I'm keeping a lot of the bulbs uh, standard for the time being because I do not own any non-ghosting LEDs. That's it. That's what I've been working on. So, Well, that sounds like you've been mildly busy in the pinball realms. Yeah, I had the, this whole past week off. So I had three days the prior week, and then I had this entire last week off. So I, I have way too much vacation piled up, and it's my last chance I can really use any uh, until after our annual conference at work. So I spent it fixing machines and playing video games. You know, what a good responsible adult would do. So <laughs> now we're going to be responsible podcasters, and we're going to go into formally our pinball topic, which almost entirely, other than our System 11 tournament, is going to be about Pinball Expo 2017. Woo, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Super late. It was segment. amazing. No, I don't know. I didn't no, we go. don't. We don't. We weren't there. Uh, all <laughs> the other podcasts have probably already covered this. But if I know anything about pinball, it's that fans just like to hear the same stuff over and over again. So here we are. We'll, we'll, but we'll give our take, which could be quite a bit different than some of the other people. Yes, it will be. It'll be amazing. Yes, that's what we do. Amazing things. I want to actually start, I figured we'd do it by company. And I'd like to start with two companies that weren't at Expo, even though it's in the Expo segment. And it's kind of weird, but bear with me on that. Uh, and the first one would be, that's really not at Expo at all, was Highway Pinball. And I just stuck them in here because I thought it was noteworthy to say they did not have a presence to my knowledge, none of their games were at Expo. I, I don't know if a single one was in the free play area or anything. I'd read that there weren't any aliens available. However, their container ship of alien pins that we reported on being somewhere out in the ocean surrounded by water, those did arrive and people over the last couple of days have been reporting in the United States getting games. So there have been new aliens that have finally shipped out and... That is a good thing, but the company also obviously is not promoting anything, or at least not choosing to use Expo to promote anything, which might not be a good thing. Don't know. Any thoughts on that? I'm thinking that with the sheer amount of bad press and how confrontational of a thing it would be with them having absolutely no news and nothing other than we're trying it makes sense for them not to show up. There was nothing. It could have done being there could have done nothing but hurt them. It could not have helped them in any way, but the wrong thing said to the wrong people or the wrong blowups could have hurt their image. And it's already in bad enough shape that they did not need to take any more damage than they've already taken. 100% agree with you. Okay. That's it with highway. Yay. Highway. highway woo! That's right. We're road on a highway. Wait, that's not right. I, I guess yeah, that was Ventura not. Highway is the name of that song. Never mind. It's too old. It's <laughs> too old. Okay. Spooky Pinball. Now, this one was a little more nuanced. They officially ditched Expo. They did not have a formal presence at Expo. They were at the very famous Pinball Life Party. And Pinball Life is a major part supplier for those that haven't. A few episodes back, I'm afraid I didn't write down which number it was. A few episodes back, though, uh, we did an interview with Terry, 
who is an owner operator of Pinball Life. If you want to hear a little bit about their operation and stuff, it's a 25 minute interview or so. And I think the noteworthy thing is that at the Pinball Life party, there you know there were total nuclear annihilations there. And for those that don't know, uh, Scott Denisi, the designer of Total Nuclear Annihilation, or commonly referred to as TNA, he works at Pinball Life. Like that's his day job. So there's a relationship there. Uh, TNA did end up showing up at Expo later on. It was in another vendor's booth. So it wasn't there for the whole time, but it did eventually make a a formal appearance. Uh, And I wanted to, the only real thing to talk to you about on this was, uh, what do you think of Spooky's decision to not actually get a booth for their company at Expo? Do you think it was a good idea, a, a bad idea? Do you think it was irrelevant to either Expo or their company? My guess is simply that Alice Cooper's not ready. And without that, there was no reason for them to be there because that's what all the questions would be about. Hmm. That could make sense. But do you, so do you think given that total nuclear annihilation was already announced that there's no, there was no real value to have a formal presence at, I mean, I know Expo has sort of a, it's, it's seen as an industry event. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about that later because I think different people see it as different things now. Uh, to throw in a little bit of uh, those sprinkles, those colorful candy little sprinkles on our ice cream, that is this <laughs> discussion point. It is, from what I had read, there was a little bit of drama here. I don't I don't know why Spooky specifically decided not to go to Expo. However, one of the Expo organizers then claimed a reason that they weren't going. And that reason, I, if I remember correctly, had to do with there being some issues or like design issues that they were trying to figure out or something, I guess with TNA. And so there was some backlash with uh, the designer of TNA saying that is not true. We are not avoiding expo because we have an internal problem. The suggestion thus being, we have a problem with how you run expo. That's why we're really not there. Which could be, I could see that. I mean, being an industry uh, thing, and with Spooky being the little boutique people that are super popular grassroots type thing, I, I could see them staying out purely to maintain the us and us being different than them type thing. Yeah, I could see it. I could see an angle like that. I My takeaway would be it's it's irrelevant. I don't think it hurts or really helps Spooky one way or another to be at Expo or to not be at Expo. They're a small player. So from an industry perspective, they're just not a big enough deal to need it, especially given that they do a lot of direct sales to consumers. I think they get a lot more mileage out of things like Texas than they do out of Expo. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I think being at the Pinball Life Party got them plenty of exposure anyway. And I I have read uh, for quite a while now that at least one of the organizers of Expo is notorious for treating his vendors like crap. And that a lot of people just don't want to be there anymore. So, well, yeah. And if there's something like that floating around, I I could definitely understand that. If it's a situation where it's just not worth the headache and the hassle and the abuse you take to be there, especially considering how big some of the other things have gotten. I think Expo's just not as important as it used to be. No, I don't think so. But let's go ahead and jump to the third company and who is widely agreed upon as being the winner, quote unquote. We got to do it like E3. There's a winner. 
and wiener. Suppo- that's right. And supposedly the wiener of Expo is Jersey Jack Pinball with their Pirates of the Caribbean. What are am I are supposed they the to winner because they're literally the only people who showed a new game? You know, I think the answer is has to be yes. I, I think the only way you can win is if you show a game. And they're the only ones who showed anything new. Therefore, I think they by default win. But there was a lot of positive buzz as well about how the reveal was done. They had the the streamers out of Buffalo, the Buffalo pinball people. They uh, put on I, – I did not see that presentation. I did see footage. Our area uh, champion, Carrie Wing, streamed some footage for us on Facebook, put some videos up. So I did see videos while Expo was going on. I did not watch the Buffalo stream. I have heard – that the presentation on that stream was excellent, however. So very, very good reveal by all accounts. And yes, I think even if the reveal was garbage, the fact that it was the only new game that was announced, I think kind of defaultly lets them win. So yes, in a way it was it was an easy, it was an easy golden ring to grab. But uh I don't know what to call this. I think I'll just call it pirates for now and just hope the listeners don't get it confused with the stern pirates of the Caribbean. I don't Maybe we call it JJ pirates. I don't know. I don't know what the abbreviate so far. The abbreviation is the same as pirates of the Caribbean, but with JJP in front. It's like JJPOTC. It's just a mouthful. So anyway, uh, here's what I noted in terms of the features, because the game is jam packed with gizmos. It's a wide body and Gugas and Gugas. Yeah, there were a lot. There were there were several. There were half a dozen gizmos and almost as many Gugas as well. There are concentric three concentric circles for both giving out awards and providing English on the ball, kind of like the spinning circle on Whirlwind Wood or on X-Men. But it's actually three different ones within. So it's one, then another, and then another. And they're all kind of touching each other. And they can spin in different directions at different speeds. So it does more than just the conventional single spin. Uh, there is an upper play field that rocks sideways. There's a cannon shot from that area, which has vertical movement. So it goes up and down rather than what we've seen cannons before on things like ACDC, which are going horizontally. Yeah. Uh, five flipper. Uh, the, the very, uh, large, uh, gimmicky promotional statement of 3.25 sextillion gameplay variations. This is achieved because the game covers all five of the pirates films that have been released and it randomizes, I believe five scenes. There are 20 scenes for each movie. And so when you start a new game, you, it randomizes five scenes of those 20 for each of the five movies, I believe. And, but I think in total, there are 105 modes. So there are the 20 for each movie and then, I guess, five special modes, like mini wizard modes and wizard mode. And there are 20 plus selectable characters. Uh, but unlike a game like Game of Thrones, those you can't pick a character someone else has already chosen. So those are the that's the feature list. Uh, Tony, I don't know what you've seen uh, in terms of images or stuff. There are three different models, but the, the differences are cosmetic the gameplay is the same on all of them i don't know but i figured we should just jump right into it um what do you think i'm gonna go with the always standard i like that the gameplay is the same on all three models uh yeah I, i i that is a very big and important thing to me i like the little spinning disc triple disc thing there on the middle of the play field i've watched several videos of it 
and the them spinning indifferently and this and that. That's awesome. I think that is amazing. And it's kind of a, 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 a cool little gimmick, Guga, whatever you want to call it. I like it a lot. The upper play field, uh, I can take or leave it. I actually haven't seen any, none of the videos I watched had the cannon, uh, that I noticed. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means I didn't notice it. Um, I think the biggest problem with this game is the fact that I think it's a terrible theme and hmm. we'll see what happens. And again, I don't want, I don't want to sell a say one way or another until I've actually played the game. So there's just things. So it's just little thoughts. I just think that I don't think that the pirates of the Caribbean is a saga thing like star Wars or star Trek or any of the Marvel stuff, but they've made or, five or, of them. Or well, yeah, but I'll be honest. You want to go something big like that? We needed a Fast and Furious machine. I think that would have been a better theme than Pirates of the Caribbean. I only live my life a quarter ramp at a time. Exactly. I mean, if you if it's just you know, oh, they made a whole bunch of those movies. Well, yeah, they've made a whole bunch of Dora the Explorer movies too. But that doesn't mean I want to go play Dora the Explorer pinball. Uh, <sighs> That's mean. She would have just, taught you things. <laughs> There's already a Pirates of the Caribbean out there. It's not a terrible game. I I don't know. It just seems like a waste of a theme. Hmm. Uh, okay. Well, I'm. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that I don't. I don't care for the theme personally, but I haven't cared for a single theme that Jersey Jack has run with. I think that they have all been subpar selections. They probably had to pay through the nose for this one. And uh, I think it shows in certain ways as well. I And I think they've been uh, transparent about some of the things. Like, I don't think they have voice call outs from the films. So you don't hear Johnny Depp talk in any of it. They got one of the actors to do the call outs for the game. So they, you know, they brought in someone who was associated with the, with the movies to do, I think the, the skipper, the, the first mate of Johnny Depp's ship. I forget Mr. Gibbs or something. I think is his, his character name. And um, I think like on the screen, the footage, it can be things like the characters running away from stuff, but not face shots. I think, I guess they only, you know, it's one of those where the license was fairly selective on what they could use and what they can't use. So, yeah, but I'm not entirely certain on that. Cause again, I don't, I don't care as much on you. It's like dialed in the theme does nothing innately for me but it's a it's a fun shooter so i like playing it yeah uh, i agree with you about the circles i think the concentric circles are awesome i th- i think it's the most exciting thing which is kind of sad because it's not the necessarily the most end of it oh yeah okay there are three concentric ones whatever i mean i'm not let's not give the innovation award to that but the idea of it both doing like the mystery select kind of like the eight ball does on sharky shootout but having three different nearby devices kind of like how whirlwind put them in different sections but this being concentric has them all grouped up together so it's very tightly packed it could make it a lot more difficult to always know where that ball is going to come off of that plate which i think is exciting uh upper play field i hate upper play fields uh so that doesn't impress me it looks like the cannon i don't know the cannon shot's supposed to be as hard as it is right now I think it's nice that it's not used all the time. I I th- would think it would get tiresome to do that. 
Um, whether or not it's, I think it's probably a neat thing to watch. I don't know how hard it is to aim once you're, once you're going, um, because like you, I didn't really see it in action to get a good feel for it. Uh, I like the selectable characters, except with over 20, it's like, okay. And I think there was the, an interview with the, either the programmer or the game designer. And this is a, this designer's first go. I just remember his, uh, I think his name's Eric M- Munier, or I'm, I'm sure I'm saying his last name wrong. Cause as we know, I say everyone's last name wrong on the show, <laughs> but even your uh, own. Right. So, so <laughs> Kiefer is doing the pro yeah. Kiefer's doing the programming, I believe, but, uh, Eric is, this was his first, first pin is, and I think it, it looks really neat. I hear it plays fast now it's a wide body. So that's not true. However, it may play fast for a wide body. And I've seen people report that it is the fastest playing JJP game other than dialed in. And I can believe that because the thing that makes wide bodies, here's the people that's, yes, I make fun of wide bodies all the time because, you know, some of that's a bit of a shtick and some of it is just, you know, based on reality. The reason for those that don't ever think, well, why would a wide body always feel so slow? It's because there's so much horizontal movement. But if you cram stuff into those games where it's not wide open, then it's gonna the ball's gonna hit stuff and it's gonna come back. That's why Wizard of Oz feels faster than Hobbit, because it is, because Hobbit is wide open. This game has stuff. I mean, the five flippers, two of them are for the upper play field, two of them are down below. That fifth flipper, it's in the middle. I like that. I like that it's not an orbit flipper. Because of how they've packed everything. I mean, I like orbit flippers uh, if they're useful, like on Spider-Man or the warp ramp in Star Trek, where you need them. The flipper on the side orbit for Hobbit is dumb, and I don't understand why it's there. And But you do something like this where it's in the middle, kind of a la Twilight Zone had one sort of like that. It gives you some new options. It's, it's it's different. And I like, so I like what they did since they went wide body, which I think still think is a mistake. You know, you might as well take advantage of the space that you've got and do something interesting with the, the layout. It did from what I saw, look like it played at a decent clip. I don't think it's as fast as a, a very ramp heavy game, like full throttle, for example, but uh, I do think it has decent speed. I don't think it has flow. It's, it doesn't look like a flow game to me, but I think it has decent speed. What do you think of the pricing? The, I uh, think the pricing is doing exactly what pinball pricing has been doing for a while lately, and it's just insane. Um, three I'm not models. Saying that they're, I'm not saying that they don't have to price it that way to re, to hit the numbers that they're wanting to hit. I I can fully understand that. It's just... Considering the standard model, the bog standard model is eight thousand dollars, eighty five hundred, eighty five hundred, eighty five hundred for the bog standard model, and it just goes up, and not like a little bit up, it goes like insane up, is crazy. I mean, I know there's people out there who can afford it. I know there's people out that's fine. I've got no issues with that. I just, it is hard. To see this, I mean, this is something we've seen start rolling up, and Stern did that whole Batman sixty six LE thing, and now we're starting to see games in excess of ten thousand dollars not being some weird one off. It's just what's expected now, apparently, for the high end stuff, and I just, I'm in shock every time I see the price list. When I, I saw the game. 
before I saw the price drop, I saw the game and I was expecting eight grand, 8,500. Okay. Whatever. I was close. And then when the, like the, 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 the super limited edition or whatever they're calling it dropped, it's just like, are you, are you kidding me? Cause that's like $12,000, 12,500. Yeah. 12, five. Yeah. 12, five. I mean, it's in, it, it, it's just, I was in shock. I did not expect to see that kind of jump and I should have, I should expect that with pinball anymore. I should expect that the bare bones minimum uh, of a pinball game any any more is going to be well over five thousand dollars and anything that even flirts with being Ellie-ish is going to be five figures yeah the i was i was a bit surprised i mean i went back and looked at jersey jack's website to see if this was a major change in pricing and it's sort of one of those yes no things when was first launched it was much, much less than it's sold for now. All games are still in production with Jersey Jack. Uh, Waz is at the same pricing tier as Jersey Jack, so or as Pirates, excuse me. So 8500 for the standard, 9500 for the LE. I'm not quite sure why it's called a limited edition when they don't commit to a limited count on their LEs, but I, yeah, it's just branding. And then 12500 for what's called the collector's edition, which in the case of JJP's Pirates is limited to 200 so comparing standard to standard, Waz and Pirates are the same price. Dialed in and Hobbit are $8,000 standard and the tiers work the exact same way. So this is a $500 markup from Dialed in, which was, you know, just came out recently. Uh, there's more stuff in this. Sure. I mean, more than Dialed in, more than Hobbit. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on under the play field on Hobbit. Definitely looks fuller. Uh, is this the is this $500 for the license? Maybe uh, when you think maybe it was, I, I would not be surprised if Disney was more expensive to deal with than whoever they had to turn to, to get Hobbit. And obviously dialed in didn't have any of that. So, but then you could ask yourself, well, why wasn't dialed in cheaper than Hobbit? I don't know. No one who cares. They're not in the business of giving price breaks, but yeah. Um, Here's an interesting question. I've actually heard it come up on two other podcasts, so let's steal it. Uh, do you think that this announcement of Pirates sabotages Jersey Jack's sales of Dialed In? Interesting. No. No, I don't think it does. I mean, Stern reliably releases multiple games in a year. If anything, I think a release like this from Jersey Jack is something that's been much needed because of their history with between announcement and game release and everything else. They need something to show that they are pro. They are able to consistently put out good product as opposed to like was. And then it took forever after the announcement of Hobbit before Hobbit dropped. And then they started making things look a little better because they announced dialed in and then dialed in dropped in a decent amount of time. And if this happens with JJP Pirates, where it is between the announcement and the reveal and it drops in a decent amount of time and it lets them get a kind of flow going, I think it will actually help them because most of the people who can afford to collect these machines, brand new machines anyway, 
are the kind of people who, when they want a machine, they want it. And it doesn't matter if they just bought a machine. Uh, sure. Some people are going to be, well, do I want the dialed in or do I want the pirates? But I think a lot of genuine collectors are just going to go, I want the machine and they will buy the machine because it's what they want. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't use the word sabotage either. I, uh, I think, I don't think there's going to, there was a high growth potential for dialed in. I think no. dialed in will go down as Jersey Jack's worst selling game. And I think that was a given the moment they went without a license. And that's but why it's still probably of the Jersey Jack games I've played. It is by far their best game. I agree. I agree. But anyone who's hardcore enough about, I mean, it'll still be available. So that's the thing. Like you noted, if they're, if they're well healed enough that they can afford both and they end up playing dialed in and, and loving it, then you, that's great. These, these JJP games, I mean, upper play field coming out with one screw conveniences aside, which was a, you know, a major and very cool engineering thing that they stressed about the pirates game. These are really not made for operators. They're, they're just too expensive. So, because here's the thing, no matter how fancy that is, no matter how beautiful that box is, and people talk about all the time who have put things like Waz on location about how it goes and it draws people over and they put money into the Waz first. How much more money does a JJP game earn in the coin box versus a Star Wars Pro? Because if it's not 40% more, it's not worth an operator's time to buy it. You can buy three Stern Pros for the price of two JJP standards at this point. So it's a, it's a numbers game because you're going to sell off the game eventually anyway, or if you don't, how long do you have to run it before you've paid it off? And it's just longer unless they actually get more coin drop. They may get more coin drop. I've heard on certain locations, they do get pretty good coin drop, but not that pretty good of coin drop, not enough to make it worth the extra money. And that's not JJP's model. Their whole, their spiel in their presentation was about how they want to make full featured machines, not strip things out. And they have a price point that says we're not stripping things out. And if that's what people want, if they want, you know, my off scoffed at phrase world under glass, then there you go. There's your world. It only costs you the price of a small country. Enjoy it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, but I don't think when it comes to, I just don't think routes are the, where these games are aimed. I think it's, I don't think routes are really where any pinball is aimed anymore. They're out there and they exist and they help with popularity, but I think it's getting to the point where everything's aimed at the collector. Well, let's go ahead and we'll obviously refer back to this a bit, but I want to jump over to Stern Pinball at Expo then, because I think you've given us a natural transition for it. As you noted, uh, JJP was the only company that introduced a new game. Stern Pinball gave a talk, I believe it was before the JJP talk, but they mostly talked a bit about code and mostly about the importance of barcades. Now, this talk, and there's been a lot of discussion on Pinside since it happened, because a lot of collectors feel that Stern's presentation was a huge miss and JJP's presentation was a huge hit. And not just because Stern didn't announce a new game, but rather that Stern was talking so much about barcades, people came away from that talk thinking, why are they not talking about the collector? Isn't most of their sales to the collector at this point? Now, setting aside that this was Expo, an industry event, and Stern may have 
decided that they needed to do an industry-oriented presentation, which would have been about operating location pinball. And also the idea that you grow your collector community by exposing them to pinball and you do not expose people to pinball by just catering to collectors. You have to have it on location. So they don't want to lose that. But setting those things aside, what do you think about Stern and deciding to talk about that, that idea, the barcade idea, the idea that you need to pair pinball and beer together, and then that's going to be good for the long-term health of the hobby. And that's where they should be playing in versus the JJP standard, which is no, you need to give collectors what they want. These super deep sextillion game options, super developed code out of the gate, and just a game that people feel like they're getting their money's worth and could have for years before they got bored with it. Do you think that Stern was wrong to do the presentation the way they did it? I don't think they're wrong. And with it being an industry uh, event, I think it's the exact type of thing you would expect to see at a normal industry event. Um, Would they have come off better to the collector if they'd gone, if they'd done elsewhere? Yeah, of course they would have. Um, but it's definitely a thing where I think they are looking at the type of uh, stuff that is what has kept them going and what has caused the resurgence. Because honestly, I don't think the resurgence is because people just randomly went, man, you know, I liked pinball back in the 80s and 90s and I've got money now, so I'm going to buy my own pinball machine. I think as the barcades have come up and people have started seeing them and they've been playing them, they've been having fun with their friends and this and that, that a lot of people who have started collecting, that's how they came back into the fold. Um, it's a visibility thing. And with it going, well, yeah, I remember, I remember playing that game when I was in elementary school compared to the games you see now, they're very different. And I think that has a lot to do with the growth in the market. Earlier, I had asked you about the idea of Jersey Jack's Pirates sabotaging the dialed in sales. Let's spin it a little more competitively now. What do you think this Pirates game does to Stern's LE sales? Nothing. Nothing? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be enough to be noticeable. Okay. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's anything where it's going to be where Stern is worried about anything. They're still setting at the, their, their standards are still setting at the bottom of the price point. Their standard is still a cost in a range where somebody can easily, if they want one, they can get one without it being complete, uh, bank breaking, especially if they have, if they pick up a used one. Uh, their LEs are obviously pricier, but, uh, other than the, the insanity that was, like Batman 66, it's still not terrible. And most people are going to be picking that stuff up is, I mean, it's, I think it's terrible. It's nothing I'd ever pay, but, but it, it's one of those things where they're going to, people are going to be picking up for the licenses. <clears throat> and if you sit down and show somebody, well, you can get an Ellie star Wars or an Ellie pirates of the Caribbean. Which one is more interesting to you? Star Wars is going to go every time. Hmm. I mean, it's just got, it's going to have a bigger draw. Maybe I'm so wrong. Think Maybe that, there is some hidden well, secret Pirates of the Caribbean uh, uh, fanboy hyper community <laughs> out there that I don't know about, that I'm not locked into because, hey, I don't know all the fan communities out there. But 
I just don't see where it is going to be as interesting of a pull because just like us talking, it's like, Oh yeah, I guess there was a new pirates release this year. I don't know. I haven't watched a pirates movie in years, but they happened, I guess. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I think, I think this may have more of an impact. I, I agree with you on a few things. First, uh, if we're talking pro models, no, no, I see no impact because the there's too much of a price gap. Those are two different target audiences. Uh, LE models, maybe it wouldn't be LE to LE per se, but a stern well, LE is running. LE to LE is a fair like like if we were looking at Star Wars, I don't think LE to LE is really fair. I think it'd be more the premium to the LE, the the Star Wars premium to the Jersey Jack LE. Is yeah, what I mean. no, right, the, yeah, because I I, I hate. I hate the whole LEs that aren't limited. We talked about that a little bit ago. Right, before. right. But because uh, I just went to, I mean, Star Wars premium is less than the standard of um, Pirates. And the LE right. is less than the LE of Pirates. Well, I or, think that the... Well, it's Star- less, it, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think a stern LE runs around the price of the standard <clears throat> Jersey Jack pirates i think that i think they're within a thousand dollars of each other yeah i i just looked it up the star wars le is nine thousand dollars and that's their msrp the disc the distributors are always cheaper actual price is going to be cheaper yeah right for stern stern is the only one that does that but but stern yeah it will be i think in all instances it's at least a thousand less so uh okay so so yeah, that's the one that's closest to the on price, just on price. You've got the limited Stern versus the totally unlimited bog standard, as you described it, Jersey Jack Pirates. I think in the in the case of that game specifically, Stern wins on license. Here's the thing, though, that where I could see it coming into play in Jersey Jack's favor is the feature matrix is more impressive on the bog standard Jersey Jack game than it is on the Stern LE. As in, the Stern LE doesn't even come with a shaker motor. It's it's that sort of stuff. You look, if you're if you're about the toys, if you're about the mechs, then the Jersey Jack game, all of them really, uh, come across as more featured than what the LEs look like out of stern now in some some cases it may not you know it may not make as much of a difference or, or seem to be as big of a deal and definitely pirates feels the most mechanically feature rich jersey jack game since was because wizard of oz had you know the two upper play fields and all that so it depends on what you want but i'd heard and again i don't know if this is true or not but i've heard that not all the star wars le's are sold yet and I don't remember how many they said they were making, but the, so the, the notion that I know some people have is that Stern's already having trouble selling to the collector market because there's not the same perceived value. And so the question is when you have a game that's this feature rich against a game and unfortunately for Star Wars, which looks very mechanically stripped compared to even to other Stern games. Even oh. when you go up to the LE version, which only really adds, uh, you know, the the more advanced Death Star mech and the Hyperloop ramp, that it's a question of well, will would that be people being willing to say it's really about the money for me 
I could buy this limited edition thing from Stern, or I could have this more technologically advanced game from JJP, even though it's not going to be a limited count, even if I don't get the Invisi glass and stuff because I'm doing the bog standard, but it's going to be a more longevity based experience because there's just more stuff in it. And it plays just like the more advanced, the more expensive versions of the JJP game. That's where I could see maybe that that might, I don't think it's enough that Stern worries because of their total pie of money. I don't think the LEs are a huge slice of it. I I know people, I think they have the highest profit margin on them, but I don't, I don't think that it's, it's, I, it's, I see it more as gravy to Stern and that, that may be inaccurate, but, but I could see that being the threat. I mean, the biggest mistake, I mean, we all have our own preferences on the types of games we like to play. So, you know, saying aside like my biases against wide bodies and such, the biggest mistake that Jersey Jack has is the theme, but not, you know, Stern doesn't always have winter themes either. So it's yeah. just like, Jersey Jack's never had a winner theme, so I don't, I don't no, know. No, uh, well, and that's that's the thing is it feels like all of Jersey Jack's themes are what can we possibly catch on a decent price, or what can we possibly roll? They haven't rolled anything big, and um, I think in a way that's one way where Pirates hurts them is it's like yeah we've got Pirates of the Caribbean and and you know, Stern did that how many years ago? I over mean, a decade, I think. But, um, but you it, know, it, Jersey it, Jack's going for all these family-friendly licenses, but they could do better ones, I guess. <laughs> Lego. <laughs> oh, that's, it's like family-friendly licenses. It's like The Hobbit and Pirates well, of the Caribbean. It's a timeless children's story, and kids like crazy Johnny Depp acting like Keith Richards. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't. That's like like how how spooky games. Well, TNA aside, spooky games were always sort of horror themed. Was the is the idea of anything they develop in house is sort of horror themed. And Jersey Jackets, all the themes need to be family friendly. It's just the decision he's decided to go. Now, I don't know why that means you didn't reach out and say instead of instead of pirates, you didn't try and do Lego Movie. Yeah. But, because I think that would be an awesome theme, but who knows? I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, there's been discussion about that. Uh, but anyway, I you know, and again on Penn side where Stern takes a beating all the time, I it's it's real easy to think that when they didn't show anything, they didn't have any major code drop updates. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's Stern's biggest problem right now is there is this perception. And I think it's a fairly accurate perception that. They are, while it looked like they were getting better for a while, they seem to be slipping again on having code ready to go when the games are ready to go. I mean, Star Wars was on beta for months after its release, and you really shouldn't be. This is not Project Greenlight. They really should not be releasing these games on beta. That's a valid, that's a very valid point. So, I mean, I respect that they were honest enough about it, that they gave it a prior to version 1.0 release and didn't just actually have beta code that they pretended was finalized. But, but, you know, from the beta release of things like Batman 66 and Star Wars to the non-beta release, but glaring lack of support on KISS. What's an example? That's where I think Stern had a has a newsletter now. Where everyone's assuming it's a Zach Sharp uh, creation now that he's the marketing coordinator there. But 
It's uh, called the Stern of the Union, and they do a monthly kind of newsletter announcement. And the first one that they did, it included outlined code. Like, here are the games that are about to have code drop. Here are the games we are still working on code for, which I thought was very smart Mm -hmm. because a lot of people have just been sitting there going, oh, gosh, is Star Trek still getting code being worked on? It's not listed there, so let's say no. But, But KISS was. So, okay, KISS has not been abandoned. They are planning to do something new. Ghostbusters is still expecting another update. A lot of people had heard through whatever, and maybe someone just made something up, that they were done with Ghostbusters. Because a complaint about Ghostbusters is the final wizard mode isn't very well coded. I think that's somewhat uh, nitpicky complaint. Kind of like the complaints on Star Trek. It has a few bugs in it. It's like, yeah, I wish it was polished out too, but come on. It's, it's, it's good enough. But whatever. Uh, next company I wanted to, us to hop over to, American Pinball. They of the Houdini fame. Uh, they were there, they had machines. I don't know anything out of if they did a talk or anything, but there have been some changes to the machine since the earlier prototypes that were shown at say Texas, where they unveiled the machine, but they, uh, they do still expect to have uh, games shipping by the end of the year. I don't know if you had any new thoughts on, on American pinball. All I know is that they were present. I haven't played it. I never got the chance. We talked about that back in our Texas episode that I, I got in the line and then the machines broke and I was like, well, I'm not going to stand in this line. And I left and I never tried to get back in the line, uh, which isn't, I'm, I understand they were quickly hand assembled prototypes. I don't hold any of that against them. We'll see what happens and we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm still surprised that they're expecting to ship before the end of the year, but we'll see what happens. Uh, tying back to all the questioning that I love to keep asking, do you think that the announcement of Pirates of the Caribbean impacts the sales on Houdini, a game that's priced about 1500 less than what the bog standard would be? No. No, because I don't really think Houdini's going to do very well. I think between the early stuff that fired up, the... um way things have gone i think they'll sell all right i don't think they're gonna i don't think it's going to break them but i don't think this is something that i would consider a huge contender so if it does cost them i don't think it's going to cost them much let's uh let's have you do a guess i i doubt they'll ever announce numbers but based off of that uh, i lean towards uh what you're thinking i agree completely that I think the price point's too different for this to really be impacted by something as expensive as Pirates. And it already is significantly more expensive than a Stern Pro, so it's not competing on that front either. It's kind of its own beast. How many units do you think they end up selling of Houdini? Or what what do you think their production run size ends up being? Maybe a better way to think of it. Hmm. I would be amazed if it went as far as 150. Wow. Wow, you are thinking very conservative numbers. I was going to be, I was going to play it safe and say, oh, I doubt they go over 500. Oh, <laughs> but- <laughs> okay. Well, well, no, no, you're well, actually, again, you're, it could be, you're, you are more tied into the community. You read more stuff. Maybe there's more hype flowing around. No, I just, that was just, I, I, I'm just, just being, I no. was thinking to me, this has got the same kind of feel that we had, uh, well, this predates me, but that was around like America's Most Haunted and all that stuff, and they didn't sell a whole lot. 
And I think with everything going on, I don't think it's going to sell a lot. I think it'll sell enough that they're going to be able to attempt a game number two, unless something really horrible goes on, goes on. But I think anything that makes them break even enough that they can try for a, another game and can prove that they have some abilities all they're going to be really hoping for. And I think that's the best that they're going to get. I could be completely wrong. This might turn out to be the game of the century, but I'm just not holding my um, breath. The, the reviews would be better if it was the game of the century. They'd be more universally. Uh, yeah. Well, we're from most reports, it's an interesting game. A lot of people seem to find it decent playing, but very few people seem to exclaim that it is their favorite game. And my 500 was way, I mean, I, that was, I honestly, it was intellectually lazy of me probably to throw a number out that high. I like more how you derived your number from here's, here's what I'll actually, let me revise mine down where I'm still going to guess more than you, but I'm going to say 250 units. I'll say 250. And the reason I'm thinking that is with all of the buzz about TNA, Last I heard, they were still just shy of 200 units of a game that's $1,000 less and has so much more praise. However, the reason why, and I don't know where TNA ends, ends up ending when it's all said and done, but Houdini, because it has ramps, because it has more mechanical gimmicks to it, it's going to, there are just certain people that are turned off on, on TNA versus houdini anyway (laughs) sorry that acronym is so it's so it's such a a, such a struggle i'm a man child i know i'm a man child i'm sorry but the because it because tna does not have any of the ramps uh it doesn't have a catapult that launches 22 inches across the the table or any of that stuff it's just there's a certain segment of people that aren't into it they aren't into the gameplay of a game that plays that old so, and Houdini doesn't have that problem. Houdini feels modern because it is modern. So I think they have an easier time getting sales on it, but given that it, and they're, they're, they're doing that weird. It's not a license. They didn't have to pay a license because it's public domain, but people know Houdini and there's a, so I'm thinking they, they probably get to 200 based off of the gameplay and they get another 50 because there are a bunch of people that'll buy anything that has magic in it called pinball. So. Everyone with theater of magic and pinball magic has to buy this to keep their collection 100% magical pure. They're, so. they're magical purity. And there's some people that love magic and pinball. I, I get it. I, I don't. I, I don't. like I like illusion, but I've never been into it in pinball per se. But yeah, but that that's why I'm going to go. I'll say 250. But that keeps it under Rob Zombie. And it may very well deserve to have more sales than Rob Zombie. Yeah. No, that's, that's but we a don't very know. real possibility because but people love to support spooky uh, as part of that and there was i think there was speculation going on with rob zombie because the america's most haunted became so valuable after they capped at 150 and sold them all but that's a story for another time uh let's hit our last expo company that's dutch pinball the makers of the big lebowski they were at expo they introduced their new contract manufacturer, who's – I didn't write their name down. I, I've read it several times. They're more known in the making of postage machines. In fact, I think I used to use a postage machine that was made by them. Uh, the games 
will not be assembled in Europe. They will be assembled in China. This company has three manufacturing locations, I think Germany, Israel, and China, and they've announced that they will be doing the build in China. And the only other noteworthy thing, and I think it was it's very noteworthy, was that it was confirmed that the new buys from new buyers will have to be supplied before the current customers can receive their machines, at least on some scale. They have to give a certain number to the new buyers first because they do not have enough money to do the production and give. And that, they've said that for a while that, that it would, the financing would have to be worked out, but they don't have enough money to do refunds to everyone. That's why they were going this route. Well, they don't have enough money to do the build, obviously, either. So they need new money to do the build from deposits with Cointaker and Nitro. And the only way they can get that money is when the games are delivered. So they have to deliver the new games to the new money to make enough to eventually build the old games. Uh, They did have one of their old prototypes there. Uh, From what I've heard, it was off almost all of Expo. It was a sad, sorry little failure of a tired machine. So, Tony, what are your thoughts on on Dutch pinball and, and their pyramids uh, structure to how they're going to get all these games built with this new it's contract not manufacturer? It's a pyramid scheme. It's I didn't say scheme. Cone. I said a pyramid cone. structure. I said pyramid structure because I'm nice. Uh, okay, so what do you think of the cone? What do you think of this cone? Would you would you take a bite of this cone? Oh gosh, no. Oh man, it this is. This is a dumpster fire. I, I, I mean, that's literally all it is. This is a raging dumpster fire. And I feel horrible for all of the Lebowski people who have put out their money, not received their games, to turn around and find out that other people are going to put out money and get games before them, even though they're just buying in now. Combined with, we will see how the quality is for machines being assembled from some place that has no real experience. It's no, I know what this is. This is Dutch doing everything they can to try and survive. And in my mind, I want to say it's them trying to be good and doing whatever it takes so that they can fulfill the promises that they have with people. But this company's dead. There is no way this company, I, I will be amazed if they get a whole lot of new sales out of this. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the vast majority of people are just going to go, wow, the big Lebowski is a great movie and I can order this pinball machine and that's cool. And I'll do that right now and not actually have any knowledge of the background or the history. But I just, it's sad and I feel bad for everybody. I feel bad for everybody involved. I feel bad for the Dutch pinball guys at this point. Um, this, it, it feels like you could take everything to do with Dutch pinball and find one of those websites where you just put cringy stuff up and everything they do could just go straight to that website because it's just sad. The deposit 
the deposit lists supposedly are full through Nitro and Cointaker, that there have been people waiting for quite a while that have refundable, say, $1,000 deposits and are on the wait list, at least back when the count was thought to be contained at 300. I think in a past newsletter update or webinar discussion that they did, I believe Dutch Pinball indicated that they were going to have to up the production numbers. I don't think they ever promised that they were going to keep a limit. So it's not, it's not the same as like modifying your LE sizes like, like J pop did, but getting back to the question I keep asking during this, during this, <laughs> what do you think about JJP's pirates though? Now being announced, do does that change? Well, here's the, I'm, I got, Look, I know it's sort of lazy of me to keep asking the same freaking question over and over, and I'm doing it because, yes, it is lazy, and it just makes it easier to do the show. <laughs> but also, this time, I really, really think maybe your opinion will ch- will change, because here we have a game that has been known, shown, and in some cases played for a number of years now, and it's $10,000. You can get the LE for less than that of the new pirates game you can get other than the collector's edition of any jjp game and batman super le you can get any pinball machine that's in production right now for less than big lebowski do do these new games that have since been announced years after big lebowski was shown do they not uh, do they not sabotage the sales on getting this new money in? Do I finally have one that you will agree with? Yeah, yeah, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll, okay, I'll go ahead and give Thank it you. to you. I mean, I Thank just, I, I, I just can't see see how anybody would go after a big basket at this point. I mean, <laughs> this is like this would be like like uh, uh, the the guy who comes rolling along <laughs> and sees the car wreck. And then immediately goes, I, I really think I'm going to buy that car. Oh, you're going to buy a car like that? No, no, I'm going to buy that car specifically. I, I really like how the crushed sides look. I mean, it, it's, yeah, yeah, no, no, their Dutch is definitely in trouble because of, uh, because of JJP. JJP is putting the squeeze on Dutch. It's, it's yes. You you sound you sound less convinced than I want you to be, but I'll, I'll take whatever little <laughs> mini win I can get. Uh, well, I I agree with you that the fundamental problem with Dutch pinball is, is Dutch pinball. That's the pro- that is the problem. That's why most people who are who might be interested would stay away. But I do have to question, even if you were totally ignorant of the process and. It seems impossible, but you know what? It seemed like American Pinball somehow didn't know how toxic J-pop was, and I still don't get that. Yeah, that makes Uh, no sense. So for people that want to get into the building, they sure didn't do a lot of research ahead of time. So it's like there are possibly some people that love love the movie and or love pinball, but maybe aren't all that familiar with... This, the exact nature of the circumstance going on with, with Dutch pinball. But Big Lebowski is such old news. It's such old news. It's a great looking game. I hear it. I've never played it. I hear it plays pretty good. But, you know, it's not, it's not the Wonder Kid. It's not the new amazing, you know, it's Flash in the Pan is over. So there are just new games that are being announced now. They Dutch was pushing that thing back when Stern was still doing single color dots. It's just, it's a different time. I just think that the ship for its sales have passed. Uh, the 
the people, the early achievers, as they're called, who bought in from the get go, they're stuck. They that's why they're always hoping all this stuff will work. They have no other option. Well, short of a lawsuit. But if I've learned anything about pinball is that everyone's afraid to sue. And it's so they're, you know, unless they want to do that, they're stuck hoping that any clever scheme that Dutch can come up with will work. But this is too clever by half. I don't even see. I mean, is someone going to move out to China and how it's it's not that the Chinese manufacturing can't have high quality, but they they have never built a pinball machine before. Who's going to show them? Who's going to be out there? I, you know, I don't know. The company, the parent company has never built one either. This is not a thing that licks envelopes for you. Uh, so I don't know. Do you think my last thing before we go to the, go out of expo, I was just going to ask you, do you think Dutch should have even been at expo? Because I do not. I think it was a waste of money to fly out there and just to introduce the contract manufacturer. I don't know who they thought they were reassuring by doing it this way, but I think they could have saved a few thousand dollars on plane tickets and then had more money to do their pennies on the dollar refund that I think ultimately is going to end up happening because I think they will get sued. Yeah, no, I think it was a complete mistake. They they gained and helped, had nothing by it. I... I don't think it's possible for them in the eyes of people who actually know and watch. I don't think they can possibly bring themselves back. I don't think they can make themselves be something decent. So no, no, they're just, it's too burned too much damage. Okay. Well, we're done with expo. So where's us do the last thing in our pinball segment real quick, which is the round four of our system 11 tournament. Uh, in terms of the round three results, there was only one quote unquote upset. It's one that didn't come fast enough. Uh, and it's not much of one because there's only one seed difference, but space station, which is the 13th seed, did finally beat out mousing around, which was the 12th seed with 60% of the vote. So mousing around is good in, dead in the trap where it belongs. Uh, and us says, because I've been doing it on the other rounds to note what the, what was the largest margin of victory? It was the three seed taxi over the six seed black Knight 2000, which uh, taxi secured 71.4% of the vote. So that was the highest. Well, we are down to the final four. So whirlwind, the number one seed is up against the 13th seed space station. Which one do you pick here? Um, I'm going to go with Whirlwind. I would as well. I've been pretty ardent defender of Whirlwind throughout this. Uh, and then the other matchup is Elvira and the Party Monsters, the number two seed, which is going against Taxi, which as I noted earlier is the three seed. Which do you pick of these two? I'm going to go with Taxi, but it's pretty tight. I, I could take it either way. I, I have, I consider them both. I like them both about the same amount. Yeah, I uh, picked. I'd pick Taxi as well. I think they're both fun games. I guess I just have a little more fun on Taxi. Would be probably how I'd summarize. That's it why I decided it it too. Now okay. here comes the important question: Do you think Jersey Jack and Ball's Pirates of the Caribbean is going to have an effect on who the overall winner of the System Eleven tournament? Is? I hate you. <laughs> I mean, no comment. No comment. (laughs) Okay, video games. Let's go to video games. Okay. Now, what's this game that 
Okay. It's complicated that you didn't put in the list. Yeah, I'll add it to the list. But No, it's too late. Just just verbally add it. Well, now. I will, but I'll add it to the list so you can so it's in there so we oh, don't yeah. forget. That would it. help uh, so I can uh, when I write up the show right. summary. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot I do that. Okay. Well, this started out yesterday. Um I had some downtime in the morning and I started watching a let's play that a couple of my preferred streamers did. Uh and they were both voicing different characters in one of them, one of the, uh, uh, those visual novel, like dating sim games. It was a fan choice game that they started doing. And, um, I don't Have you ever played any of those dating sim visual novel games? Uh, or seen no, actually, I don't play? think I've ever, no, I don't even think I've ever played a visual novel actually. Well, basically the whole layout of the game is that you are the you're the protagonist there's a whole bunch of girls they like you for some reason or you're you're all together for some reason and you make choices uh uh dialogue choices and you're just trying to make them fall in love with you that's it it's a real simple premise it's i mean i've played a couple of them in the past i've watched a lot of streamers play them just for the sheer, because some of them are really, really terribly bad. So a lot of them, uh, especially some of the streamers I watch, they do voices. That's like kind of their thing. So they'll watch it and they'll do all the reading. So it's something I can have on on the side while I do something else. And um, it's some of them can be just really terrible premises and they're horrible, horrible, horrible. This one is special. And, and, and I, I knew for the fact that they were doing it and they flat out said, it's like, the only reason we're doing it is because everybody told us how messed up this is. So we're doing it. And when you open this game up, it has a warning that it is not for children. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the easily disturbed. And I have heard of this game. This is so funny. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the twist is, but go, go oh, and I'm, keep I'm going. not giving another give anything video? away. Okay. But if, if I no this, I started watching this game, okay. and I'll go ahead and tell you the name now. This it is Doki Doki Literature Club. Yep, yep. Okay. I started watching. I listened this. to another podcast that that was talking about this, and but no one has gotten far enough to find the twist yet, and they're starting to get really annoyed because they said the at least the first forty five minutes is boring. So that's all I know about the it. The first forty five minutes is very bog standard for this type of game. Uh, the first, yeah, probably maybe even more than that. Um, but when, when I was watching them play and it started to get to the twist, my wife started paying attention and then things went, I mean, this game has a twist and it is, it is, this game is tagged as psychological horror, uh, (laughs) in its steam tag. So my wife ended up sitting down next to me while we watched the final two uh chapters of the playthrough of the three chapters of playthrough that these that they did. And it ended and it and where it ended it stopped there they were done playing. They were done. And we were staring at it and I was talking to my wife and I'd looked it up on Steam and the game is free on Steam. Mm. And we ended up playing it for three hours last night. 
Wow. And which got us through to the first, to the beginning of the twist. Okay. And there's more to go. And it's just one of those things that it was, we hit it and it was just like, I, okay. Even though I knew what was coming because I've bloody watched it, I had to play it for myself, making different choices because I wanted to try and change things. And it's just like, I, I'm done for tonight. I'm done. And, but it is something that is just takes such a normal, um, kind of sappy, silly, uh, uh, game type and turns it into something that is just like soul crushing at times that, yeah, no, that, that's special. But hey, I, I played a video game with my wife. So that was great. Yeah. And it finished and then it was like, okay, we're sad now. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know. Free is a tempting price point, but I don't know. Yeah. It is, like I said, it know. is free on Steam. Hmm. Yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it mentioned a couple of times now on podcasts. And I'm like, uh, but no one was saying enough to. It was it was odd because there were people that don't normally like visual novels, and that was their problem was they weren't getting to anything that they were really liking to see the point, but they also were admitting they weren't very far in. So that was the struggle. Yeah, no, it's it is. See, I've I've played enough visual novel novels in the past uh, that playing it, it was just like okay. Yeah, this is all bog standard. Blah 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 blah. You can ignore half the text, but type type game but yeah no it wow it, it was definitely different and we'll keep playing to see how things are different than we saw than i saw on the let's play now the let's play i wouldn't i don't think i would recommend the let's play because a i, I it's specifically i like those streamers which is fine but the let's play is one two three four almost six hours and it's massively slowed down because they were doing all different voices for all the characters and reading and reading everything out loud and then also doing uh commentary stuff while they played. So I don't think that'd be the type of thing. I think it's something that if I had been convinced to sit down and play this without knowing the twist was coming, but knowing that I needed to stay on until I hit a point, I think I would have liked it more. Uh, I don't hate it. Okay. I enjoy. I, see. I, 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 see. I enjoy it. But seeing as we knew what was coming, um, the only reason we didn't get through the whole first section a lot faster is because we intentionally went a different route. And a lot of the stuff since it was the beginning, my wife hadn't seen. So it's it's enjoyable. It is definitely not for easily disturbed people or teenagers or children. No, 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 no. So. It sounds like you ruled out most of humanity. Well, it depends upon how easily disturbed you consider most people being. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and transition away from the literature club to a different type of club. EA club. Not Well, not really. We're not going to talk about the EA club. We're going to talk about This EA, might be though. more soul-crushing and depressing than the other. Uh, that's why while most of this is going to be ta- us, as we usually do, talking about games that we that we played... I wanted to talk about this one news item because uh, it's such a big deal to games that we like to play. 
And so the announcement that recently happened was EA Electronic Arts indicated that they are closing down Visceral Games. Uh, Visceral Games was working on a Star Wars game. And uh, I'd seen it most commonly described as the Uncharted of Star Wars. It was going to be single player, a very story driven experience. Uh, here's a quote I wanted to read out. It's a bit long, but I, I think it kind of explains in corporate speak what's going on. This is from EA's Patrick Soderland. And what he said was, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the development process, we have been testing the game concept with players, listening to the feedback about what and how they want to play and closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace. It has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we need to pivot the design. We will maintain the stunning visuals, authenticity in the Star Wars universe, and focus on bringing a Star Wars story to life. Importantly, we are shifting the game to be a broader experience that allows for more variety and player agency, leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore. EA Worldwide is going to be taking over the Star Wars title. The game is obviously delayed now beyond its original release, which was expected to be sometime in 2019. The co-writer of the story, a uh, very famous creative director from Naughty Dog, Amy Henning, it is not clear if she's going to be remaining with EA. The last I read indicated they're basically leaving it up to her, and I imagine she'll have very favorable terms if she leaves, but <laughs> I also expect her to leave based off of how it was phrased. And uh, for those that don't know, Visceral Games is best known, I would say, for the Dead Space trilogy, but they did also handle the Battlefield Hardline, which was sort of a cops and robbers oriented version of the battlefield franchise tony uh i gave a lot of corpse speak out of soderlund um obviously we have been watching with uh bated breath for all of these star wars titles that ea secured they have a 10-year agreement is my understanding with disney to do star wars games and that was signed in 2013 so this now is probably going to come at the tail end of that 10-year arrangement and how many games have they actually put out in that in that time. Well, you know, the only ones I'm really familiar with are the Battlefront games uh, so far, but I thought they had about a half dozen in the pipe. I remember seeing a little bit on this game, but they've never shown much, even though it was announced right around. Uh, I think it was announced in 2013 that this one was being worked on. Maybe it was 2014, but it's been a while and they've not shown very much at E3 or anything. But uh, the, that corpse speak. That I, that I read off in this decision that they need to sh shift the design. What do you think that means? I think it's probably like a lot of the stuff we're seeing lately is a shift away from a single player experience. I agree. I, if I'm going to use the descriptors that I've heard before, and these are not my ideas, but they're the ones that I, I do accept. While this was the Uncharted of Star Wars, I think now they want it to be the destiny of Star Wars. That would be a solid guess. And here's the thing is, there are a lot of games that are really good ideas and look really good that are single player in Star Wars that have been canceled. And I just, man, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's EA. They're just, EA's terrible. <laughs> 
Well, this doesn't help their rep, that's for sure. Uh, um, I mean, I, yeah. And, you know, I, I believe, uh, if I'm remembering right, this is the second game now of Amy Hennig that has been canceled. I don't think she's had a game out for six years, which for someone who's such a renowned creative director back when she was with Naughty Dog to basically have half a decade of her. This is why I don't think she'll stay at EA because I they just wasted half a decade of her career life for nothing. She's achieved nothing. What's the, la- the her last game out is well, Visceral's last game out was Battlefield Hardline. Yeah, I don't know if she worked on yeah, that. Yeah, I though. don't know. I don't think she did. Which I didn't play Hardline. Uh it was sort of a mixed reaction in terms of how the campaign went. Um and I, I demoed it. I demoed the online multiplayer elements and I didn't like it enough to want to play it over a, a war style battlefield. So I just, I never acquired it, but anyway, uh, yeah, sort of sad. I mean, I think what this is going to let have people start questioning is, uh, our triple a single player driven games on the, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but I mean, are they on the decline unless they're open world sandbox loot crate driven shadow of war door style things? Is this I mean on the uncharted series did very well for Sony. So if this was going to be like Uncharted, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't have had a high degree of sales. But obviously EA feels they need to have something where they noted players want to come back to and enjoy for a long time. So apparently they don't feel a 10 hour single player experience is going to do that at 60 bucks. Right. And then comes up the other problem is a 10 hour single player experience is. uh, Yeah, no. I think that's exactly what they're doing. I think it's kind of a sad way to go. I would like to see more um single player type games cuz I've not played the Battlefront, the new Battlefronts. I'm not really interested in them cuz I only like so much multiplayer and with so many games out there being pure multiplayer that the amount of interest I have in that is pretty much tied up in my playing of Overwatch and a couple of other games. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know where things are going there. I play a lot more single-player games than I do anything else. I do, too. That's why it's sort of sad for me. But, well, we'll, we'll just keep our eyes out and see what, what happens under EA Worldwide with this title. Well, let's hop over into games we've been playing. Uh, I'll I'll kick us off with Mafia Three, which I talked about a little bit last time. Uh, I'm further along now. I'm I'd say deep into the second act at this stage. I've actually put in a lot of time on it this weekend because I'm trying to finish this one up because this is a single player experience that is a sprawling sandbox. The problem is it it's now reminding me of Assassin's Creed One, where I feel like I'm doing the same missions over and over. It's very rinse repeat. You need to take out some sort of mob boss. But the only way to get the mob boss to come out is to do enough damage to his organization. They give you a mix of things like interrogations, destroying property, or killing someone, usually. And then when you do enough of them, you've done enough damage, and then you can go and do the mission to get the guy. I like the story. The story's kept me engaged. That's why I'm still playing it. But like Assassin's Creed 1, it feels like I'm doing the same stuff to get to those main mis- through those main missions to do the main hits, but it's just tedious. So. Anyway, uh, but I, I'm still enjoying it, just not as much as I did through the first act where all that stuff was new and I didn't realize it was going to be that repetitive. So unfortunate, but 
And I'm not surprised. That's how they've padded out the time a bit. So I'm really just focusing on main missions at this point. I'm not doing side missions at this stage because the main ones, just to do that much damage, it's taken hours. It just takes hours to do it. So the so. side missions aren't the fun, interesting, quick type things like you'd see in um, Saints Row type side missions where they're all races or whatever, but they're fun and different. They're just the, so the true side mission stuff is yeah. They're like, I haven't even done the racing and they have racing. They had some other interesting things where the doing the side missions might get you more money from your rackets and stuff. So you don't need to do it, but you, you can do it and they've given you. So no, they've got, there's stuff there. If you want to play in the sandbox a long time, the main mission chains, the, Missions you have to do to get to the next boss, those are repetitive, but I have to do them to finish the story. So I can't skip those, but that's all I'm doing now because I want to experience the story. The side stuff, story stuff is not uh, engaging enough for me to really worry about. It's a game that I actually saw someone on a little YouTube thing describing a bunch of video games, described Mafia 3 as a game that is best experienced by watching all the cutscenes on YouTube. Hmm. And I see where that's coming from now, but anyway, but I, I'm still enjoying it. It's just, I've realized that I don't want to spend a hundred plus hours in this game because I'd rather do Wardor if I'm going to put that much time in. So I'm focused on this, on the main storyline and focusing on that makes the repetitive, the repetitive nature of those missions uh, really stand out. So unfortunate, but it is what it is. Well, that's kind of good. And, bad i guess that kind of refers a little bit back to like what we were just talking about with ea with the you know 10 hour the 10 hour single player type thing how how much of that stuff was added in just because they had the single player and they had everything done and then somebody was like this is too short to release as is so they added a bunch of stuff to crank it well this main mission stuff is over 10 hours a lot oh wow so i mean that's all i'm doing is main mission stuff that's all i'm doing now Interesting. Well, we'll jump from that to a game I've been playing. Do you recall back in the glory days of the, uh, I don't know, it probably been late 90s, early 2000s, Dungeon Keeper? Uh, that, I might have played the second Dungeon one. Keeper 2? I don't know if I played the first. Yeah. Well, this game that I'm playing now is called Dungeons. It's actually Dungeons 3. Uh, yeah, Dungeon Ke- the original Dungeon Keeper was in 97. And it is kind of a modernized take on the Dungeon Keeper type games with enough, with a lot of extra stuff gone in, uh, added to it. But it does a great job of being a game that is not, it does not take itself hyper seriously. So it starts out, uh, as a basic, dungeon game where you start out you have a dungeon core and you build traps and you dig out to treasure and build a treasure room and this and that you create a dungeon because you're the evil you're 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 the great big evil bad so you're building a dungeon of course because all evil bad has to have a dungeon where this game's a little different and i've not played any of the other dungeon games uh i found i own one i must have gotten it from a humble bundle at some time but i don't i don't think i've ever played it uh, in addition to building out your dungeon and fighting off the heroes so they can't, they don't kill your dungeon, take your dungeon and this and that, you actually can 
take your mobs, your, your, your hordes of orcs and goblins and stuff and demons. You could go to the surface world and take out towns and little good things and, and corrupt the land to make it evil. And that's, it has an actual ongoing storyline as you play of you taking over lands and, and, and good is fighting back against you. And as good appears and it might be getting strong enough, you kind of slip away and start setting up somewhere else and create doing more damage there. And overall the game, just from a gameplay perspective, it's very fun. It, it, it's very interesting and it's got enough variance that it would be fun to uh, play as is. But this game is pushed over the top by the sheer insanity that is uh, the narration and the meta, the, the meta in the game uh, because the narrator very much knows you are playing a game and makes references to it constantly. Everything in this game references something you would expect from fantasy in a way that is changed just enough so that you are obviously not going to get sued. At one point, the main character calls out the narrator. It's like, okay, okay, okay. We get it. That's enough Lord of the Rings references. We we, we can stop for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... One of the, one of the, like one of the town or the little town things where you're trying to break into at one point is, um, Steelsmith as opposed to World of Warcraft's Iron Forge. Oh, yes. And there's another one, there, 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 there's another town that's referenced and it is, it, instead of Stormwind, it is like, 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 rain breeze or something. I don't remember exactly, but there are lots of little, just slightly shifted references to be obvious, but the narration and everything is just so much fun. And, uh, the back and forth between the main character, because you're playing the big evil bad. And then there's a main, your main character. Who's not actually you. It's like your, it's like your number one lackey. And okay. the narrator, there's back and forth between them. Like they get into a huge argument at one point, very early in the game. And they've been having an argument because part of the script that the narrator is supposed to read comes up, but the narrator was making a sandwich. So the main, the la- the lead lackey started doing it. And then the narrator came back. He's like, Hey, that's my job. And they start arguing. It's like, well, if you're not, I, you don't even need to be here. I can do your job. There's no need for you to be here. And so in the middle of your next fight, you just, you know, you fight all these bad guys and this and that, and you're working on stuff. All of a sudden the narrator's like, and out of nowhere, bears appear. And you're suddenly being attacked by bears because the narrator's having a hissy fit. (laughs) And (laughs) it's just, it's fun and irreverent enough that I, I think it is a game that I would recommend for people who like the, real time strategy type gameplay and people who like the other, obviously the other dungeons games, but people who liked even the older, like dungeon keeper two and all that. It is a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying it and it's on steam. It's uh 40 bucks. So it's not a full $60 
hit like a lot of games, but it has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. I've put a lot of hours into it since it came out. It just released uh, last week. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's brand new. Um, yeah, it came out on the 17th, I think, and I've put six hours into it already, which considering I put six hours into that, we put three hours into Doki Doki. I know I put another at least five hours into Cold Waters this week and, uh, forts, which I'll talk about later. I've put three hours into that today. So it's been, it's been, oh yeah. And like, I've played a lot of games this week, actually. Four hours into Wolfenstein, yeah. the new order this week. Mm-hmm. Um, there was several other, yeah. Overwatch. Overwatch. I've put a bunch of time into Overwatch in the last couple of weeks. I've played s- several more, like three hours of Stellaris in the last couple of weeks. I've been playing a lot of games lately. I, I I actually went from that slump that I talked about last episode that I'm actually been playing a ton of games the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've really, of course, with me being off for the week, I was able to really up my count. Sometimes when I take time off, though, I just read or something. But uh, yeah, lots of gaming. In fact, uh, my next one I'm going to talk about is the one I put the least amount of time in, and that's Middle Earth Shadow of War, or as we often refer to it as Wardor. Uh, I'm in the second act and I, the reason why I'm not further is I, because I know as a sandbox game, this is going to eat a lot of time and I'm already playing mafia three, a sandbox game. I wanted to clear one over the other, but I didn't want this one to sit because I really wanted to play it. So getting to the second act is important because the second act is where you are given the ability to recruit the orcs. You don't have that ability in the first act at all. So the first act is really about how the witch King acquires his tower. Basically, if you remember where he is based out of from the movies, well, that place used to be good and he took it over and Sauron let him have it. So you're kind of helping in the last defense of that area. And that's used to introduce you to a lot of the mechanics. Uh, The main thing about the story is unlike Dungeons 3. This takes itself super seriously <laughs> for the main stuff. Super serious. It's fr- frustrating in a way because they're also, in a not good way, very irreverent with the material. I can't say that the uh, Shadow of Mordor was ever uh, particularly great in terms of the story, but from the very first part of this game where they decide that, hey, Shelob, the giant spider, she needs to be a hot girl now. And constantly is morphing into a woman, which is not an ability that Tolkien ever gave that spider is it's just so, it's so, oh, oh, I'm just like, did you really? I mean, that the spider is sentient is, is yes, that's true. But it's like, oh, well, no, we need to make her attractive because people don't want to look at a spider, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, you know, just if you can let that go and not, and not care too much, it, it, it will help. So just sort of accept they did some things because it's video games and they're trying to check all these boxes off on who they want to appeal to. Uh, so the story has been kind of like, okay, whatever your, your character super serious all the time. But uh, when you get to the second act and you start getting the orcs and they showed a little bit of that uh, dynamic in E3 and I'm still getting the tutorial on all the things you can do with the orcs. Holy cow. I mean, you do experience in the first act, just how much broader the nemesis system is. 
and all sorts of weird, like I wanted to go on a hunt for a particular orc so you can target them to go in and find them. And he, the one I wanted, a, I, you know, it's, it's video games. So video game magic happens. I go out of the menu. He's right there. And he's like, you're going to hunt me. No, I'm hunting you. <laughs> it's like, how'd you know I was in my mini map? Well, he knew. And we had to fight because that's what he decided to do to me. So they've got all that stuff going on. And the, the first orc you recruit when you start building your army, he uh, he's your guide. He's your narrator. And he's teaching you about all sorts of things. And he's doing his orc humor. And it, that part works really, really well. So I like the orcs a lot. Uh, that's what I've been hearing on a lot of the reviews is the building of the army and the recruiting and all that. That is this game's strength. The story is not. Uh, and that's fine. So I'm going along for the ride, but I'm not very far in that fun part yet because I, I got enough so I could talk here. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to mafia. I want to, I want to get through that because I like the mafia story and I want to get through it. But anyway, so I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing onward with that. But otherwise, uh, you spend a lot of the first act getting a lot of those abilities back you had at the end of Mordor. You've somehow lost, you know, video games. You lost them all. You didn't remember how to do any of those cool drains anymore or anything. Uh, but the skill points are coming pretty fast. I, I actually, without going and picking the secondary level of stuff, I've unlocked almost everything by the time I got to act. Two, oh, really? Main abilities. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, those are like six skills deep main abilities, but everything's just one skill point. And then, uh, off of all of those are three radial options that you can do for enhancements on each of those abilities. I haven't done any of those yet. I've chosen instead to try and just unlock as much breadth as possible before I go for depth, but that's just my choice. But anyway, so that's Wardor so far. I'll I'll give more updates as I get further along in it. But anyway, yes, so far, so far, so good. It's been what I've expected. Loot crates are not a big deal. You don't have to buy them. <clears throat> I was going to ask if the, the how, how the loot crate situation felt to you, seeing as I know there's been a lot of cry and stuff about it having a single player game with loot crates. It's I, I would be annoyed if you need them, uh, but things like the Epic or legendary orcs and stuff, they are out in the world. I've heard confirmations from others that have gotten further in the game. So yeah, there are things like XP enhancements and stuff, um, but you can get certain crates by doing like multiplayer hit missions where it's like someone else died in the game. Uh, another person's game and you can go in you can hunt their orc mm -hmm. who killed them yeah you can do that in the first one as i recall right right but now they'll give you crates nice. as your reward so so that yeah i mean i don't like it as much as like the cosmetic loot crates of overwatch which are totally just fluff because these do have an impact on your character so i understand the complaint but it's not pay to win or you don't have to pay to win and maybe to get all the achievements in it you would run into a major time sink and you know if, if someone like me who doesn't put in that much time on a particular game usually uh i could see where the temptation might exist to buy the crates and i don't like the idea of buying like if you want an xp boost and they're going to sell stuff sell the xp boost don't sell a chance to win the xp boost. yeah i don't like that but but it's not it's not a deal breaker for this game. It's obviously tacked on. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that it was at the publisher's bequest just to try and make more money off of this, but uh, it's not, it's, it does not seem necessary to me. So I'm not worried about it. Well, that's good. I'm just afraid that it's just the beginning of what's going to become a more and more common thing until it does become necessary. 
Sometime, I think we probably, for a video game topic, should do the nature of game pricing and the rise of the loot crates, which seems to be the sequel to the rise of DLC. Yeah, and the whole thing with like mobile gaming and the whales where you can buy all your extra stuff and that's what people look for on mobile gaming. That's where, where, where game, a lot of those mobile games are aimed at. They're not aimed at the free-to-play player. They're aimed at the people who are dropping hundreds and thousands of dollars a week to play the to buy extras for the game yeah actually let's let's plan to do that on a let's do yeah, that i think that's a good a idea episode because i think i think it'd be a good discussion well then the other game i've been playing uh the one i played today for three hours we talked about a little bit is forts now forts i just found out about literally yesterday and picked up because it's an interesting uh little take on have you played the physics games where you build a bridge no, I've, I've seen footage of them. I've reviewed them for genre assignment, but not, okay. but not. Well, this is kind of like that, except for what you're doing is you are building a fort and putting weapons on it and fighting other forts. And it's got a campaign that's really just designed to re- teach you the game. And it's got challenge and be, and it has some challenges in it. Um, but it seems to be a game that's really designed around your skirmishes and your multiplayer and stuff. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, <clears throat> as you build your fort up, you have different, like you can put metal armor on and, and you have your normal wooden braces that hold the fort up. And you've got, you know, there's weapons that do bullet there's that are just shoot regular bullets and then you could have things that start fires and um but the whole thing is the whole is the way the physics works and if somebody's got their base set up with a big extension you can cut the line and drop that off and even if it's attached to the ground, you can still cut it off from the main part of the base and it will go inactive until they can rebuild all of it. So in the challenges in the uh, campaigns, a lot of times you start out with a little base and they're like, well, there's this really powerful weapon here. You need to build a bridge to it to activate it. And your opponent's building the bridge to something like that as well. So while you're building the bridge across at the same time, you're trying to drop fire on their... Uh, construction so they don't build it up as fast as you do and they're doing the same thing to you it's just kind of a fun time waster I, i've been enjoying it and the price point is uh very good it is uh on sale this weekend on steam which means it'll be off sale by the time people hear this um but it is, let me see, let me look the price back up. It's normal price is $14.99. Uh, it's on sale until the 27th for $10. But it's just for a nice, easy little kind of half there game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, when I say half there, I mean, oh, okay. I mean, I don't necessarily always pay the most attention and I do poorly because of it. Um, but it is, got enough interest going on and enough um, stuff set up and it talks to you enough and it's got enough humor built into it that it can keep uh, your attention pretty well, at least mine. Okay. 
that sounds nice. And and with it uh, being on sale till the 27th, there will be a few days for people to get a chance to grab it at the slightly reduced rate that it currently is available for. Yeah, it's uh, which is good, and it's got um, its multiplayer is it has online. Uh, besides just online multiplayer, it's also got online co-op where you can play co-op where you each have a fort and work together against the opponents. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, it, it supports up to eight players. So I haven't done any online multiplayer because I don't do that stuff very much, but it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Well, my my last game also supports cooperative play in the multiplayer mode, and that would be Titanfall 2, of which I have played zero minutes of multiplayer, <laughs> which is funny because Titanfall 1 did uh, not have single player. It was all multiplayer, a game that was uh, only on Xbox, and it was greatly reduced in price, uh, not all that long after release. And I got it, and I was surprised at just how, how competent it was. I, I guess I should have known it would be. The studio respawn is... Uh, was the leads of Infinity Ward that did all the good Call of Duties back in the day. So they went off and they made a mech shooter that doesn't play like the traditional mech games, but plays much more like a FPS. And so Titanfall continues in that. I, I did some multiplayer in the demos back when when they were uh, betaing out the the new mechanics. And I know they made tweaks after that, which was good because it was actually playing too slow in my view versus the first game. But the single player campaign, uh, it's good. It's competent. I, I don't think the story was great. I know some people really love it. Uh, I think it for a shooter is very good, better than like, like what I'd usually see out of battlefield, for example, but it really teaches you a lot of the pilot mechanics by going through that single player game. It's not just a glorified demo. It's much deeper than that. There, it's it's many. It's several hours. It's and it's got it's a decent story to go through. A lot of platforming segments, which I think will come in handy for people because in most of the game modes in the original Titanfall, you're not in the Titan most of the time. You're usually outside being yourself as a pilot. You're just called a pilot, but there are a lot of things you can do in terms of wall running and stuff, and the fluidity in Titanfall was better than any other game that did that parkour stuff that I played. So I really respected it for that. And, but it's, it, it's different. It's very different to get used to. And so I think that the Titanfall two campaign does a lot to teach you about a bunch of the different mech builds, but also how to really maneuver when you're not in one, because if you don't do it very well in the multiplayer, you tend to be a pretty easy target. So anyway, I did get all the way through the campaign and so I'll probably start playing the multiplayer at some stage, but like you, I don't do a ton of multiplayer and with the Halloween event going on in Overwatch, that's been taking all my multiplayer time right now, but uh, I did enjoy the single player campaign. So if you can get the game for cheap, just for the single player uh, to see if you like the mechanics, I'd say go for it. Cause there, there are enough hours there that if you're paying, you know, under $30, I think you'll have a good time. Yeah. I've heard the single player is really worthwhile. And I've not heard anybody say anything bad about the single player on Titanfall 2. No, it, it's, it is good. It was, I mean, Titanfall 2, I, I would say overall is probably a very good game. It's just EA, you know, in their brilliance, they released it right after Battlefield 1 was released by them. And I remember this, us I think talking about that last sales. year. Yeah, because it was so stupid. And when they were on an investor call, they defended that decision as being smart. And I, 
but they then point out that Titanfall 2 sales were bad. And I think they want to blame things like Call of Duty Infinite War. And I think they should be looking at themselves first because they were part of their own problem. Those games appeal to the same demographic. The people who want to play first person shooter, bro shooters. These are all bro shooters. And you know what? We only buy so many at a time. That's just how it works. So anyway, uh, well, that's it for me. I don't have anything else to talk about. That's it for me as well. Okay. Well, I should remind our listeners then you can reach out to us at collector gamers podcast at gmail.com or on social media. Facebook.com slash eclectic gamers podcast is probably our most active locale. Yeah. We're also at eclectic underscore gamers on Twitter and Instagram. And in two weeks, we'll see if we'll have enough time to do some headier discussions because I think we have some good topics in mind. Yeah. Especially in the the future state or the present state of video games. I think that'll be a good one. Yeah, because we kind of we played a lot of stuff this time around. Yeah. <laughs> but I I'll be back working for these next two weeks. So I won't I won't have nearly as much free time as I did. But I might still end up playing a lot. We'll have to see. But uh until next time, I'm Dennis. I'm Tony. Yeah, so long everyone.